Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we are overwhelmed this morning by your goodness and your grace. We thank you for creating this time and place for us to come before you and to to exalt you in song. Lord, I'm personally right now just reminded that, Lord, it is only through your grace and through your redemption that I have anything. So, Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We, We praise you for it this morning. Help us as we open your word this morning, not just to be Lord, that we would be motivated by your grace, but we would, we would embrace your truth and live in it. And so, Lord, I, I pray today as, as all of us sit here this morning as broken people, myself included, God, that just as I am, that you'd use me. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, good morning. Um, happy Father's Day, dads. Um, I woke up this morning, and uh, I got the best Father's Day present ever, and it wasn't kisses for my girls. Uh, it was an actual present, because I get kisses all the time. Um, it was <clears throat> a shirt, and it has, it has gun show with, like, two thumbs pointing this way, sleeves cut off. So, really excited about that. Uh, I'll be wearing that all day. Feel free to stop by the house. Uh, <clears throat> and I got, I got beef jerky. So <laughs> happy Father's Day to me. So, <clears throat> yep, so the gun show will be all day at my house. And uh, I'm going to camp this week, and I'll be wearing it all week at camp also. So uh, our students are leaving for camp. Make sure you pick um, up a bracelet we really believe um, that, that God takes these moments in time, and students, he's going to take a moment in time for you, and he's going to set it aside. You don't have a lot of these moments in life, adults, right, where, where you just have quiet, and you get to focus in on the Lord. And what we believe about camp is it's this moment in time where God can uniquely move in your life and speak to you. And I pray, That's, we, we want you to pray because we want this to be a time where God sets these students apart in even greater ways to live for his name and glory. I know, for, I know it'll be even true for me. Pray for me this week. I know God will move in my own life this week as I go and worship and hear speakers and I'm part of all that God is doing there. So make sure, <clears throat> make sure you're, you know, yeah, praying for them and then so many other things going on. But this morning, if you will, turn with me to John 1, 14 through 18 is where we'll be this morning. Um, John 1, 14 through 18. I know... Um, as we, as we get started, um, today's title is Saturate Shaping Lives, and one of the pillars that we're focusing on today is education, and um, how, do we, um, how do we as a church affect education? Now, I, I'm going to make kind of an upfront statement. Everybody in this room is an educator. Every person in this room, in some form or fashion, you're an educator. My seven and nine-year-olds are educating my two-year-old. Illustrate it like this. Last week, I heard Karis in the backseat of the car, and she goes, A, B, C, D, right? So I'm like, I got a two-year-old doing alphabet. This is cool. She goes, A, B, C, D, E, poo-poo. <laughs> and her sisters die laughing. So funny. They 
taught her to say the ABCs, A, B, C, D, E, poo poo, right? <clears throat> Which is incorrect. Uh, and we're like in that potty humor. And whatever her sisters laugh at, right, she does. They are educating her, and they actually will. Our brothers and sisters shape and form us, right? I mean, in good and bad ways. <clears throat> as, a, as a parent, as a, as, a, as a grandparent, as an aunt, as an uncle, as someone that exists in another's life, in some way, the person that sits next to you in your office, in some way, you will educate them on what it looks like. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will educate them on what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. We are always continually, whether you like it or not, you are shaping lives of those around you. Would you be in agreement with that? Okay, that's really important because if you're not, you could leave because that's pretty much everything else is based on that assumption, right? And so we are all educators. And so, again, this hope, this hope in Habakkuk 2.14, we said it last week, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I believe that this hope, this dream of God, this, this actuality, this will happen at some day and sometime. God, when he makes promises, they always come true. And in this, he's saying that, that one day that the glory of the Lord will, will, will fill this earth as the waters cover the sea. That there will be a, a saturation of his gospel from every continent, every tribe, every tongue. And we, we zoomed in a little bit and said, what would that look like? And start counting for the gospel to saturate our county as the water covers the sea. I believe that the very foundational principle is we, we all must embrace that we are educators, that we are always shaping lives, that there's never a day off, that kind of the deal of being a disciple of Jesus is you are always a disciple all the time, no time off, no vacations, no rest. It sounds terrible. It's actually wonderful that he never loses sight of me, that I am always his child, that I always get a walk in his grace, always walk in his principles. And so embracing this, John 1.14, let's read it together, 1.14 through 18. It'll be on the screens if you want to follow. There's also a Bible tucked under the seat in front of you. If you don't have one, feel free to grab it, take it home, use it today. 114 through 18 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I'm going to kind of talk about it as we go. And so this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally the word there is tabernacled. It goes way back into the Old Testament. That It was like the, the presence of God and the tabernacle now is in the person of Jesus. And so he dwelt among us. Jesus came and he lived and breathed. He was on this earth. The presence of God, the holiness of God came to this earth and is with us. And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the incarnation of Christ. He has come. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It resembles back to in Exodus when, when Moses says, God, reveal yourself to me. And, and God hides him in the cleft of the rock. And the glory of the Lord passes by Moses. And when the glory of the Lord passes by Moses, God says, I am who I am. I'm full of justice and mercy and grace. And I'm full of vengeance and wrath. And there's this God. He's a God of grace and truth. And he's saying that in the fullness, Jesus has come full of of all that God is, full of his grace 
and full of his truth, which we're going to talk about a lot this morning. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. This is John the Baptist. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So here in this verse, there's, there's really these verses. There's, there's two things that we're going to kind of camp on today. And there's two times, if you notice it, in verse 14 and verse 17, it says, full of grace and truth, and then full of grace and truth. There's these two sections that law, the law came through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And so two ways to think about grace. Grace, um, in John 1, 4, it said it like this, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. And so grace and truth is almost a resemblance of life and light. In grace, we are brought to life. The truth of the gospel, through the grace of Jesus, we are brought into relationship with our God. And so the grace would be expressed like this. Jesus Christ came. He walked in the flesh on this earth. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was crucified. He was buried, he rose from the dead, he is exalted on high, and one day he will return to forever to rule and reign. The grace of God that Jesus has brought redemption. The law of Moses did not fulfill this, it was a shadow of what might be. Jesus has now come and grace has abundantly come and forever come to his people through him. There is not one person in this room that is righteous, nor in our own merits or efforts could we ever be righteous. You are a sinner and you will always sin until Jesus comes back again. But, right, but through his grace and through his redemption, you are made right and given unmerited favor, grace you don't deserve, and are put in right relationship with your Father in heaven forever for all eternity. Grace. Grace of God has come. And so life, right, life has come. The truth of the gospel, this unmerited, undeserved favor has come to us through the person of Jesus. Truth, this is light, that which we can base our life on. Now, we live in a culture that says grace, 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 grace. Do whatever you want, live however you want. God doesn't care. Just, just, just as long as you know, know Jesus, you're good. And here, there's, there's this kind of grace and truth, we may call them tensions or paradox. They're, they're, they're two things that they work in conjunction with one another. Jesus came full of grace, which is true. Everything I just said, this unmerited favor. But this unmerited favor propels us. It pushes us to say, I cannot believe that my God would do this. And because of what he has done, it is motivating me now to base my life upon his truth and live my life according to his truth. His truth is light. It shines into this world, and, and it is a lamp unto my feet, as the psalmist would write. It, is, it shows me the way in which I should walk and which I should live. So grace and truth, grace again, life, the truth of the gospel, favor toward us. 
truth, light, that which we can base our life on. And really what we're talking about this morning, and I'm going to kind of divert from the text here for a little bit, is to talk about our worldview. And a worldview is, and I think there's gonna, you're going to be able to follow me today. A worldview is, a, say it like this, it's the mental atlas, the lens in which you see the world through. A worldview is a commitment to a set of fundamental truths that form our reality and inform our opinions and actions. They define how I live, act, and move in this world. And so the the mental atlas, the lens in which I see things through. Now, just to know on the front end, what what being a student of this book and being committed to Jesus, being, being grateful of his grace, and being committed to his truth in our lives means that I want God's word, who he is, what he has done, all of his edicts and commands, all that he has displayed to us, I want them to define me. And so when I commit to be a person that lives by truth, really what I'm saying is I want this book, I want God to establish my worldview, the way in which I see, the lens in which I see the world through. <clears throat> so... So in this worldview, there's, there's, there's a study done by George Barna. Barna Group, is a, uh, they, they do a lot of studies in regards to the church, and their, their research is always very interesting, and I think they do actually really, really good research. There were six core doctrines, values um, of a believer um, that they tried to assess amongst Protestants throughout North America. The, these were the six things they assessed with multiple questions. And these were, they were trying to see, do, do evangelicals hold to a biblical worldview? And so the, 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 the things they were looking for is that people that believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, that God is all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and he still rules it today. Salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned on one's own. Satan is real. A Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. And the Bible is accurate in all its teachings. Very simple, right? Very, very, very simple. What their research found is 7% of evangelicals held to all six of those things. 52% of Protestant pastors did. And so, in some ways, I think it's important that we talk about truth and pushing ourselves into truth and holding to truth in our life. I, I would say this. I think most... And we don't realize how much this creeps in. For, for many of us, we don't realize, we don't recognize how much our culture has influenced who we are and what we believe. It's this slow kind of cancer that seeps into us, and all of a sudden I, I realize, man, I've got stage four cancer. I, I didn't know I was so sick. I didn't, I didn't know that I had, I had come so far into embracing the truths of my culture that are not true at all, that actually lead to death and pain and suffering in ways that I I didn't even know had occurred in my own life. So there's these cultural assumptions, and I'm going to kind of pose these against biblical, and I'm going to give you seven cultural assumptions that basically our society values above everything. And so for some, this may be more ouches than amens, and for some, they may be certain things where it might affirm you of saying, yes, 
I'm going to continue to believe in this, and I'm not going to let it creep into my life anymore. <clears throat> the first is, this cultural assumption is individualism, and the biblical idea would be community. Individualism and community it would say, I don't need others. Um, individualism would say, or community would say, God has provided me others in which I depend on. See, our, our culture idolizes individual freedom. It says everything that we talk about is individual rights, and that, that, that really, you know, we say it in our house all the time, that's not fair, right? And that's not fair rules and reigns our world because my life is really all about me. It really, selfishness and self-centeredness is at the very baseline of individualism. Physical beauty, profit, pursuit of happiness, these are the de- things that define individualism. In the scriptures, it would say it's early on, God said this about man, it's not good to be alone. He said, I'm making myself a people. Whenever he talks about his body, his bride, he talks about us together as one. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Our Father. He's always speaking of his church in this way. It's this community. Christianity would would say we are a part of a body, a community in need of one another. I I need to be connected within the body. I need to be connected with my brothers and sisters. I am not a a self-built man. I'm a man that God is building, and he's using many, many others in this community of faith to help me become the man he desires me to be. It would translate to all of us. Another value of our culture would be egalitarian, or Christian view would be stratification. Egalitarian, living with the presumption of equality of all. Now, even when I say that, you think, Ryan, you don't believe in the equality of all? That's, that's horrific. You're, you're, you're a bigot. That's a terrible thing to say. What I do believe, and I'll say it like this, I have a nine-year-old as of yesterday, and she does not have equal weight in our house on her opinions. It's just not how it works, right? Because she's nine. And we would, and say, a two-year-old, she doesn't have the right to say what we do. We'd eat chicken nuggets and tater tots like every meal, <laughs> right? Like, that's not how that works, even though that's pretty much all she'll eat, right? But, but egalitarian would say that everyone's equal. And, and I'm speaking of this not as a male and female thing. What I'm speaking of this as is, is, is in the realm of authority, in the realm of, of there are people in life that have authority over us. And we live, we live in a culture that perpetually says that I have no authorities over me, that everyone is equal and everyone has an equal say. And what I'll say is that's just not true. Our God in heaven has, has a much higher say over me than anyone else. And I am a man who sits under authority. I sit under the authority of the elders of this church. And that's just not in a function of my job. That's in a function of myself spiritually. They guard my life. You, as a member of the chapel in North Canton, you sit under authority of elders and pastors who will lead you and shepherd you and guide you, and you humbly submit underneath those in love and grace. That we are not a people that just kind of live within this great equality, but God does have spiritual headship in homes, in his church, in his body. Living with the presumption of equality of all or living in the reality of authority over me and submission. The issue of egalitarianism in our culture is all levels of respect are broken. A 20-year-old has the same voice as a 60-year-old. No offense, 20-year-old. But I'm just telling you, the 60-year-old has a life bank 
that has a lot more to offer than the 20-year-old. Now, the 20-year-old has a zeal that the 60-year-old might need to get a hold of. And that's the beauty of the body. And the 60-year-old said, right? There is, there, is, there is helpfulness amongst the generations. But just saying that there, we, we, we need to... Yeah, we need to come to spiritually, spiritually mature elders are disregarded and opinions matter most. My dad, he resigned from the elder board at his church and he wrote a letter and he said, um, basically, I, I'm resigning from this position as elder because no one in this church wants or needs an elder in their own mind. Um, and this was over, you know, a 20-year period of being an elder. And I think this is true in many churches is that many people don't believe they need a shepherd or an elder. Now, for those that have taken on that role, it's a very weighty task, and we will answer for it in great ways with our God, and hopefully we sit underneath his heavy authority in that. So I always get touchy when I talk about this. It's like I'm like telling you to submit or something. I'm not doing that. But, but what I am saying is that, that there is a need in our lives for this. Egalitarianism would say all relationships are equal. There is a need of this in our lives. Another is materialism versus sacrifice. Live for the now or eternal destiny. In materialism, success is defined by our own possessions more than the people we influence. Those who see life only in the present. We see this with Lot and Abraham and Lot. There comes this moment of them to choose the land. And Abraham goes, go for it, Lot. And Lot looks over and he sees the beautiful land, the one that is flourishing, the one that has, is in abundance. And he goes after it in his own selfish desires because he wants stuff. And what happens to Lot? Lot ends up crushed underneath the weight of his sin and his greed and his want. See this with the rich young ruler. Jesus goes to a man and this young man says, Jesus, what do I have to do to enter the kingdom? And he, Jesus goes through all these commands and he says, all this I've done. He says, now go sell all that you have to the poor, which I believe Jesus was going at the man's heart. He knew that he loved his stuff more than he loved him. And he walked away in sadness because he could not give away his possessions. Scriptures in 2 Corinthians would say, Do not focus on the things that are seen, but on the unseen. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Materialism versus sacrifice of a letting go of the things of this world and holding on to the things of heaven. Another value of our culture is compartmentalization versus holism. Can my life be categorized between the sacred and the secular? Sunday morning is my religious time. My faith doesn't, isn't allowed into my workspace. It kind of comes into my family life. And it, we, we make decisions on whether or not the sacred and the secular can come together in our lives. And what we have is like an epidemic of a separation of the sacred and secular. We say things like this, time is mine. Faith can only come into certain areas of my life. You can't, separ you can't separate, and this is what's funny about this, you can't separate anything. All of our lives are connected. My, every section and every piece and every portion of my life is dependent on the other section of my life. And so <clears throat> compartmentalization versus holism Colossians 3.11 says that Christ might be all and in all, that Jesus wants into every facet and every area of our lives. Fifth, and last two quick, task orientation versus relationships. 
What is the most valuable achievement or people in my life? What is the most valuable thing to me, achievement or people? We live in a world that says, get the job done, views people as machines for my use. Christianity starts with a relationship with Jesus, makes us a part of people in which we have belonging, and then we love others, and this is a prime command of our God. It is the most profitable thing in the realm of his kingdom, is the love of him and the love of others. And then in this, he calls this unity. Right before Jesus goes to the cross and dies, he says, Oh, Father, that they would be one as we are one. God, God values relationships far more than he values the tasks in which we do. He'll say it this much in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that you may know the one and only true God. Relationship, intimate knowledge with our God. And last, reason and logic versus faith. Deciding which realm we will live in, the natural by sight or the spiritual by faith. We act upon information we have, deductive reasoning and logic, and we make decisions based on what we can see. Faith is based upon which we, that which we cannot see. Promises of God are more of a reality to us than anything. We take his word as though it is true and in the ultimate truth in all things. And simple illustration of this right now, there's, there's a couple that I'm spending a lot of time with right now that are, are, are really close to giving the rest of their life to, to the mission of God overseas. And right now, if they use reason and logic, they will go nowhere. Because it, it is going to be hard, and they cannot see what's ahead of them. But if they live by faith, their kids are going to be okay, their finances are going to be okay, and they're going to be okay because God says that he would be with those that will trust in him and have faith in him. Reason and logic, and there's times, I'm not saying don't be discerning and not to use wisdom, but there is faith in stepping out beyond that which I know is possible within myself. And so what we believe about these areas, they perpetuate to those around us. We, we are all planting seeds all the time through a combination of what we say, but mostly through how we behave and live our lives. How we express what we truly believe is, is seen through this value system, the grid in which we, we express and live our lives. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows from the Spirit Will, reap from the, will, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. People are watching, learning, and listening to what we say and how we live, and we are discipling others towards something all the time. And in that value system, and we could probably go on and on about this comparison kind of thing all day. But the question is, is how does this really look? And so this is how I think this works out in real life. And so and maybe and I'll use myself. So, so Deb and I, we say we believe that Jesus lived a perfect life. We believe he died on the cross. We believe there's a Satan. We believe that a Christian should share their faith. We believe a Christian should go to church. We believe, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe. And then we live our lives as... <clears throat> 
really, I live my life saying that, you know, what I want is the most important thing in my life. And Ryan, as an individual, is more important than anything else. Debbie lives her life that way, and she goes about getting her things. We, we love our stuff, and we love materialism, and we say things that we're going to do with them for the glory of God. We never really do those things. And we, we do those things, and we, we go after stuff, and we get all the nice cars, all the nice houses, and we chase after all those things. And in the meantime, we're telling our children constantly, hey, love Jesus, love Jesus. You should hold these things. You should do these things. And then we compartmentalize things. I go and do my job. She goes and do her job, and we work really hard. Sometimes we have to do some things that are definitely against the character will of God. And, but, but we still do those things because, but we go to church on Sunday, and we're very pretty because I'm the gun show. Like, we got, you know, we got all this stuff going on. Life is good. The Johnstons are doing this, you know, living this way. Um, really, for me, um, I'm growing somewhat disconnected with my kids because I'm so overwhelmed with my job, and I'm very task-oriented when I do. I say that I'm very, very motivated, and I want to create a better future for my kids, but really, I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to my work, and I, I just feed off of the accolades of others in that. And, and then we, Kinsley Johnston gets to 18 years old, and she doesn't want to have anything to do with church. Really, the only difference probably at that point between Kinsley and me is that she just doesn't say that she holds to those things, but she's actually just like me. She's about herself, beauty, no sacrifice because that's hard and it hurts. She compartmentalizes everything. What I would say is this generation is exactly meeting the bar that we set. Because we can say all day long we believe in certain things. But do I actually believe God's word that he said that we are a people and a community to love? And am I displaying by the way I live my life that I believe that to be true? Do I believe that Jesus desires in the deep? I mean, imagine, I know everything that Jesus says is of primary importance, but right before he dies on the cross, he says, Father, that they would be one as we are one. Yet I live my life for me. That will bring no unity to the church. I, I must be selfless in order for that to occur or happen. If I live my life according to reason and logic, what will I train my children up to see life through? Reason and logic. But if I stretch my life by faith, maybe, maybe, and none of this is perfect, I, I know this. I only got a nine-year-old. We'll see if this experiment works out. But, but what, what I'm saying is that in, in our world, in our lives, our worldview and how much we believe this to be true must go far more further than our lips. It must be expressed in every facet and area of our life. Gospel saturation begins by the gospel saturating me. God's word saturating me. Me saying that I am willing to sacrifice for the glory of my God on earth. And if that means that I end up with nothing, good enough. Because I'm going to get everything there. You think, well, that sounds radical. It sounds like the New Testament. In order to shape lives for God's glory, we must recognize that we have influence, that there are those that will rub up against our lives and we will affect them. 
There are people all around us every day of our life, and you may think they are completely inconsequential. I could tell you hundreds and hundreds of stories, and you could tell me hundreds and hundreds of stories of these radical acquaintances that, that radically change lives. I just looked over at Peggy. I think about when Wayne was in the hospital this time of year last year. She rubbed up against hundreds and hundreds of people, and she just continually influenced them for the glory of God. Some of you are probably sitting in here today because she rubbed up against you. I know there was like, I think at one time we had like 20 people here one Sunday just because Peggy had rubbed up against them. That we have more influence than you know and you do in your life. So recognize that we have influence and and that God has asked us to impact lives also, not just influence. There are those that will be entrusted to us in a serious way in which we will shift the course of their life because of our involvement. And this is where I'd say right now, if you are a teacher, if you're an educator, if you're a principal, if you're an administrator, if you're a homeschool parent, if, if wherever you find yourself, just a little note here, because this is about education, that, that I believe one of the greatest ways to affect change in our culture is by the educational system having Christian people be Christian in their schools. Holistically, embracing the truths of God, living in his grace, living in his truth unapologetically. Because those 20 students that come into your room every hour, some of them you will influence and many of them you will impact. As a principal, I, I, I know that, that pretty much, for the most part, all of our future in the next 20 years is coming through middle school right now. Or going through middle school, going through high school, going through elementary school. There is more effect than you know that you are having. And for us to embrace our place as a North Canton Chapel, as a people, in this facet of society is critical for gospel saturation to happen in our region, in our area. But it's true for you students as well, that you are embracing the fullness of the truth of the gospel, that you are not compartmentalizing any longer your faith with, okay, I have this place where I, like, like I have my faith, which is I get with, at, at my MC, with my, with, at camp and these other places, and then, and then I have these other places with these other people that I don't do that. We'll never make an impact doing those things. Well, we will make an impact, and it will, be, it will defame our God. So Jesus did this in his life and ministry, and he says this again, he, going back. He says, live according to grace. This life that you've been given in Jesus, being motivated deeply in my bones that I have been given life through the person of Jesus Christ and embracing, and embracing that, that he has called me to live my life by truth, to, to, to allow his light to shine into every facet of my life, exposing it so that I might be transformed and honor him and glorify him in every facet of my heart and my life. And as I do that, Jesus, as he incarnated himself in this world, will incarnate himself in my flesh. He will come and live in me and work through me in this world in every place that he puts me. So the saturate realities, the takeaways for this morning are this. We all have a responsibility to shape lives more into the image of our creator. We, we all, and I use that word really, we all have a responsibility. This isn't like, a, ah, I, I want to do that, or like, yeah, that's the kind of brand of Christianity I want, or that's kind of the thing I want to do. This isn't like, a, like what kind of Christian do you want to choose to be? God has commanded us, right? In his command, he has authority. He says that we should all go and make disciples, 
that we should be his witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, that I witness not just by mouth, but how I live my life, that he is calling us all to this. And so simply, saturate reality this morning is in recognition that I have a responsibility. So sorry, guys, to like load you down on Father's Day saying you're responsible for something else, but this is the greatest responsibility that any of us carry, and it is the most important responsibility we carry because at the end of our days when we see him face to face, this is the one thing we will answer for, is did you do the one thing I asked you to do? Second is we have all been positioned to saturate our world. All of us in this room have been positioned to saturate our world. That every person in this, in this room has a different circle and a different place where impact and influence can happen. Some of you might say, man, that's just a really small space. We'll live in that small space. Some of you are like, man, that is huge. I can't even fathom how to do all that. I'm telling you, if you will embrace that you have been positioned and, and just accept that, God, you have positioned me to saturate my world, and I'm going to give myself to this. No more separating these things, but I'm going to live in it, and I'm going to ask you to use me. And I don't even know how to do all this, but will you come and will you do this in me? If you'll embrace this, I believe that God will do a great work, and we will move closer to seeing his gospel saturate our, our county, our, our, our region, our world. And again, I'll just say this, I think this is for all, but especially as we think about shaping lives and shaping future lives, educators, hear this today. Like you have a position and a place, and if you will embrace where you have been positioned to saturate our world with the good news of Jesus, he will do a wonderful work in your life, and he will use you in profound, profound ways. And then third, last, we have to embrace that which we have been entrusted. We have to embrace that which we've been entrusted. So it, it, it's, it's not simply, okay, I'm responsible and I've been positioned. There has to be an action and a movement of saying, I am going to embrace this. So what that means is Monday morning, when I wake up, when I go about my life, something is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be a little bit more prayerful. I'm going to be a little bit more concerned. I'm going to be a little bit more thoughtful. I'm going to be a little more engaging. I'm going to listen a little better to what those are saying around me. I'm going to listen to their hopes and dreams because in their hopes and dreams are the truths of what they really believe. And I'm going to push into those hopes and dreams and I'm going to talk to them about my Savior and how they can have a hope and a dream and a future in Him. And I might wait for six months to fully be able to have the ability to do that, but I'm going to play the long game and I'm going to be consistent in my character and my conduct and my language and all that I do because more than anything, more than a paycheck, more than stuff, I want my Savior, Jesus, to be glorified because his grace has so deeply touched me, redeemed me, and I want to live in his truth and I want to live it out in every space that he'll put me in and trust me with with my life. So this morning, might we embrace the values of being a disciple over the values of consumerism? It's my big blanket for all of those things that we said, because really that's the God of our day, consumerism. Consumers are deserters. Disciples will die. Jesus clearly said, if you want to come after me, 
Crucify yourself. Die so that you might have life. And I'll just speak for myself. I know that the more that Ryan Johnston dies, the old guy, the selfish guy, the consumer guy, and the more Jesus lives, the more he is glorified, the greater peace that I have in my life, the greater patience I have in all situations. He gives me everything I need as I become less and he come, becomes more, John 3.30. In a saturate movement, what we are truly committing to is saying that we are committed to being disciples all the time and in all places. And we believe that our God expects nothing less from us. This morning, we're going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing. And what I'm going to encourage you to do this morning is to commit, again this morning, to commit yourself in greater ways with the responsibility that you've been given. To commit yourself in greater ways, not just to the truths of the faith, but to embracing them and letting your life be lived from the truths of this book. Everyone in this room, all of us are shaping lives. Good, bad, and everything in between. And simply, the commitment this morning is I, I want to sh- live my life in such a way that if people brush up against me, they brush up against Jesus. In every space, in every place, he'll put me. Let's bow together. Father, we recognize this morning that you are good, that Jesus, you came full of grace and truth. Your scripture is clear that you've called us not to just be hearers of the word, but doers. And Lord, even this morning, we we recognize that, that we are so needy. We're in need of your grace and your love and your care, and you have abundantly given that to us by coming and dying on the cross, by giving your life for ours that we might have hope and redemption and life forever. Lord, we repent, we recognize that we have been living our lives in so many ways conformed to our culture rather than conformed to your image, to your ways, to your principles. Lord, would you help us to, in some way, hold fast to your truth, your teachings, reject the lies of our world, and embrace them in their fullness that we might live them out allowing you to use us to affect change in this world, to see your grace cover this earth as the water covers the seas. So Lord, help us this morning to lay down our life freshly to you again today, committing ourselves to grace and truth and embracing these both that we might live our lives to glorify you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to open the altars, and this is going to be kind of all summer. Go ahead and stand. And if there's any commitment that you want to make, and it's crazy, last week there were so many people that came down, made significant commitments of 
changing their direction, how they live their life. And so what this is, is a time for you to kneel and drive stakes down in your life saying, this is where I'm headed. Maybe it's a time to come down and pray for the chapel. Maybe it's a time to pray for someone. Pray for yourself. Whatever you need to do as we sing this last song, do it. Because I believe that as we do, God is going to do greater and greater things in our day, in our lives.